Welcome to LA Survival Guide, a podcast hosted by Los Angeles working professionals discussing LA culture from a millennial perspective. Hey guys, and thanks for joining us for another episode. Today in the studio, you've got Tony, and to my right is Jay. Hi, I'm Andre. Hey, I'm Alex. I'm sitting to Andre's right. And on today's episode, we're going to get into discussing the Love What You Do generation, pursuing dreams, as it pertains to the millennial generation, right, Jay? Yeah, that's right. So I came up with this topic. I had an idea that I'd love to just get into this facet of our generation where people have been raised to believe that work is the purpose of life and where it's you find your fulfillment, where it's, um, you know, you find your purpose and you're fulfilled. And because of that, the resulting culture of workism, I read a great New York Times article by Aaron Griffith talking about how our generation pretends to love work and how it just it really just takes down this idea of you know worshiping at the altar of work and with you know our, our high priests as Steve Jobs the visionary or Elon Musk or something like that I'd love to just get into it and talk about how do you guys feel about this idea that you know we're the love what you do generation honestly before you brought this up I honestly don't think that I had given it much thought just because it's the only thing that I've known. I don't know if this was something put on me or instilled in me by my parents or something that I've just developed watching TV or those around me. But like, I definitely remember having a discussion with my parents telling them, if I'm going to do something for my entire life, I want to make sure that it's something I enjoy doing and like kind of go from there. It was never really something instilled in me by my parents. I remember from a very young age wanting to go to university because I, I mean, well, I like the prestige of university and I like smart, learned people. But I, I also knew as a very young person that I wanted the ability to do whatever I wanted to do. I think a lot of that actually comes from teachers in the classroom saying to students, young students especially, you can do whatever you set your mind to, you can be whoever you want to be. So not just parents, but I think even more so in the schools. Yeah, I just had this idea that from a young age, we've been kind of like fed this idea that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I've heard that before too, and I don't believe it's true. I think you can do what you love and have to work really, really hard at it. In fact, that's usually the cost of doing what you love is having to work really hard at it, or at least getting the right to. But in my experience, like with the things that I really care about when it comes to writing or working with kids or design, it's not a question of how hard do I need to work. I just love that I get to do it. So the amount of effort is... It's, it's a moot point. It's you're, really you're going to do it anyway. That it's true. I really don't care or notice how little sleep I get or how much time it, I have to sacrifice because it's about I, I just get to do it. Like I don't really care. So I find this a little unbelievable. How long are your work days in your current job? Oh, I. <laughs> that's a different story. It's right? a different story. Yeah, because I, I'm not doing design right now. I'm not at a design firm. It's not. 
related at all. Alex, I want to hear from you. You seem like someone who I believe is like pursuing their passion, which is music. And you're finding that into like a, a career where you actually make money off of doing what you love doing. So what's your take on this idea that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life? I half agree with it, and I half really understand Andre's point of view in that it is hard work. And I am working in music, and I do love music, and I enjoy it, and I willingly put long hours into it, and I want to finish projects and often stay up late. I'll try not to if I don't have to, just for health reasons and sustainability. When you freelance, you can essentially make your own schedule, depending on the project, as long as you meet your deadline. And so I would be working all day on on certain projects. I would spend a whole lot of time on it, maybe more than I needed to, but there was usually an end result, a finished product, or like a concert, or even at least a rehearsal that I can go to that made it worth it. I think that's a great benefit when you can do something that you enjoy and there are tasks or assignments that you love to do and that you get some enjoyment out of fulfilling. But do you feel like you derive purpose and meaning in life out of like your work and being able to like work 12 hours a day doing film scoring? I never grew up under the impression that my identity came from my work. So that part of the concept of the love what you do generation doesn't really connect with me. I always felt that that was a separate thing. You are not what you do specifically. And I feel like that is something unique. And so maybe we need to parse that out a little bit more Like maybe we can just talk about how we understand this idea of workism in our culture. I don't know, because, you know, as a young, as a younger person, as a student, I really got the sense that I was what I did. Your grade point average determine your rank in school society. But how does that relate to like work work? But it's performance. I get it. It taught me that like your worth as a person is directly tied to what you can put out in terms of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your success and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's however true it is, it's it's a really hard thing to put down and let go when you've been engendered with it for you know your entire youth. What about you, Tony? Would you agree that this culture is a culture, especially among our generation, is one that finds a lot of that dignity, for example, in working 14-hour days? So there's a great video game that I love. It's called Red Dead Redemption 2. Some of you may know of it. Big game. It's made by Rockstar Games. In the months before it was released a year ago, Somebody asked the CEO of Rockstar Games whether or not they're going to be able to get it out on time because they had actually pushed back the release date uh, at least at least once, and they had failed to meet other deadlines. I think they were trying to get it out by March 2018, and it ended up coming out in October. And they asked the CEO in July, "Is like, are you guys really going to be able to get this out by October?" And he said something like. Yeah, everyone here is working 100-hour work weeks in order to get this done. And that was, for him, as he was saying that, that was almost like a point of pride, that this is the caliber of workmanship that we have to offer, and this is the amount of devotion that we have to this product and making it perfect. Uh, that is measured by this many hours. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think there's definitely that sentiment in like <clears throat> the professional community of which I'm a part, like design and tech. There's this... Silicon Valley archetype of the kids in hoodies who are pale and thin and subsist on like ramen. <laughs> Look, ramen. I'm gonna come at you like this. I'm 36 years old. I do not have time to be putting in these long overnight hours and sleeping in the office, not taking a shower. Like I just 
I'm I'm single. I would like to have some time to like pursue a relationship with somebody and I can't do that. That does not mean that I am not devoted to my job. That does not mean that like my value to the company is less than. I feel just at this stage in my professional career, I cannot I don't have time for that kind of foolishness. I just don't. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Tony. Would you but you would agree though that like the culture that we're in is something that like celebrates that. You know, 100%. I definitely feel that on my job and I see how people with that mindset do get rewarded. There are rewards for people like that. They move up faster in companies. People pursue them to like join teams. But at what cost is my question because that's not a sustainable lifestyle in the long run. People can only do that for so long before they're just like, you know, I hate my job. I hate my career. And it could have been something that they 100% like love doing. So it seems like we all agree that there's like this push in society and in the culture to like commit yourself to the job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the Aaron Griffith article, I remember reading something, they were comparing the movie Office Space. Have you guys seen Office Space? Yeah. No, sorry. So Office Space is a movie that follows this guy and it's very emblematic of, I feel like, the Generation X apathy. The character is, he's not a stupid guy or anything like that, but he says something in the movie that is kind of like the thesis statement for the entire movie, which is that it's not that I'm lazy, it's just that I don't care. And I I love the point that this author, Aaron Griffith, was making, which is that that sentiment is totally unrelatable. It's science fiction for people in our generation right now because our generation is one that really cares. They want to make a difference in the world. They right. want to make a difference in their work. And work they, for that that perfect nonprofit that aligns with their personal beliefs and ideals. Yeah, yeah sure. Or even like the Silicon Valley mantra, right? Mm-hmm. We're changing the world through creating elegant hierarchies of you know, systematic code reuse and extensibility. Like they want to believe that their tech company is making a difference in the world by making it easier to find the great food restaurants around us and stuff like that. So it seems like everyone agrees that this is kind of like a bad thing. My question to you is, how do you guys feel like you fit into this? And what is your response to this culture? Andre, I see you as someone, you sounds like you uh, in your job right now, it's not necessarily what you saw yourself doing out of grad school. And perhaps even if you were to be doing something in your job that would more closely align with what you did in grad school, do you feel like that would alter the way you feel about this sentiment about workism? Presently, I'm somewhat conflicted because I think back on sort of the things that I wanted five or six years ago when I was just coming out of undergrad, you know, like, I want to be able to live in the city. I want to be able to make enough money to sustain me, not to have to worry about rent each month. You know, I want to be able to have friends and and I have all those things. And now I'm just like, none of this is enough. <laughs> and I, I'm aware how bad that sounds, but I think like I no longer have the dreams that I did when I was a younger person. And I have more ambitious dreams now. And like, I, it's very ungrateful of me. And I know it sounds ungrateful, but like, there is, there is a type of work that I want to be doing and a type of community I want to be around that I got a taste of, and it, it makes me really want to pursue that. But at what cost? Yeah, that's something I'm conflicted about, too. I think when I went to New York, I went with the understanding that, like, whatever cost it takes, I will pay it. In undergrad, it was like, it didn't really feel like a sacrifice. It felt like a reward getting to go to undergrad. But grad school really felt like a sacrifice. There was a lot that I had to give up to be able to go to New York. 
in terms of my lifestyle and my family and, you know, not to mention the finances, just more money that I even know how to fathom. But I was very, very clear on what I cared about. And if I sort of unwinded, I think it's because like, I know that I'm only going to be here once. I know that I'm only going to get to do this once. I'm only going to be in my 20s once. I may never have another chance to go to graduate school. I know that I'm going to die and I will be damned if I die before I have made a larger contribution to the world. So whatever sacrifice it takes, like, I'm okay with it. Are you trying to build a better mousetrap? Essentially, you're just making incremental contribution to you're improving something you're improving a system you're improving up something but it's just it's it's an incremental so i mean my my kind of like question okay. with that is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a charged question yeah my response is that all improvements are incremental um and it, it's not fair to judge the the gap of one you know incremental improvement over another what about you i'm here interested to hear what you guys think alex and tony so again i view you, you two guys as people who are pursuing their dreams here in LA. So what's your take on uh, just the idea that if you derive a lot of meaning or pleasure out of doing what you love, then what is your response to like the praise and the dignity and overworking? I've heard someone once said that the most important tool for a composer to use in his or her arsenal is tenacity. And that speaks to persistence and stick to And there is value in that. And it's important for people who want to pursue this kind of field to know. But something that I have kind of come to terms with is that if you want to have a long-term career, you do need to think about your personal well-being and health. And even if you are a freelancer, put a kind of a limit, a kind of structure, a kind of schedule for your own workday. And there is most certainly in my field, not just in millennials, this emphasis, there is a camp that would greatly emphasize what Andre's sentiment expresses, which is do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, work 16 hour days and deliver the deadline no matter what. And then there is this opposing camp that will say, no, you do need to take care of your body. Like you're human. You got to remember that you have to get enough rest. You have to eat well, and you shouldn't sacrifice those things for your career because you won't have a career if there's no you to have the career, like you won't be able to sustain yourself. So I do agree that our generation does emphasize the importance of work. And I do see how I fit into it because I am doing what I love. But over the past few years, and maybe this is part of having lived in LA and having grown a little bit and being able to see the bigger picture, some long-term goals to where I'm learning some self-control in that forcing myself to not feel like I have to work all the time. And that's actually a freeing feeling when you can realize that, especially as someone who sort of creates their own schedule outside of part-time work or what have you to be able to turn off sometimes. I agree with what you're saying. I don't feel like the attitude I often have is healthy. In fact, I know it's not. And it's not something I can carry everywhere. I know that with grad school, I felt like it took that level of dedication and sacrifice to be able to do it at the level that I wanted to. Like it it took me letting go of like a lot of friendships and or at least temporarily letting go of like seeing my family and being in my city to be able to pursue this thing the way I, I wanted to. Having said that, there were really, really hard 
drawn out spans of time in school where even knowing that I was there getting to do something really amazing and fun, like I had long stopped having fun with it. It long stopped being something enjoyable. And I felt really guilty when I took time out to cook food or sleep or exercise. At any point, I was like, okay, I'm I'm doing this thing right now. I'm, I'm on a run or I'm swimming or something, but I should be in the studio working on this thing. And I felt a lot of guilt about that. And it took me a while to be able just to accept it. And I think the way I rationalized it was still not very healthy. It was like, let me do whatever I need to do to just keep myself going. And mm. I know that for me, that that means eating healthy and means sleeping and exercising. But really, it was just in service of let me work some more. I totally agree. And I can totally understand where you're coming from, having gone through grad school as well, and having to make those sacrifices, because I need to finish this program. There's no option for not finishing it. Yeah. And you kind of get into this mode and you understand that in order to reach this goal, whatever this goal is, for a certain amount of time, you make those sacrifices and you work very hard because you know, I mean, at least for me, I knew that there was an end and the grad school program was going to be finished eventually. And then I could focus on, all right, now that I've done this, now that I finished this program, gotten the degree, now that I finished that, how can I, going forward, structure a kind of sustainable solution for, for an ongoing career? I'm going to interject here and say for an undergrad, college situation, or even grad school situation, I do understand the necessity to adapt that by any means necessary, get the work done. I do also agree with you, Alex. It's just not an ideal way to go about living your life post-grad school, yeah. post-undergrad. And I find, especially the older that I get and the more aches and bones that I have, how work just will wear on you, how you'll come home from a really long work day and just be completely drained and not be able to do anything or take care of whatever outside errands you have to take care of. Like, you're just adding all this stuff to your day. In all honesty, I feel like our generation really does need to learn how to manage our time better and get kind of out of this mindset that I'm going to be young forever. I'm the energizer of money. This is going to be a thing that keeps going and going and going. And the added bonus is I'm doing something that I love. It's just not sustainable. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. It seems like we all relate to like having that experience, you know, in grad school with Andre and Alex and, and myself too. Law school is designed to be competitive. There's only a finite number of A's that they can give out. And A's are the things that get you a good job. And it's like designed to weed out the weak. I hate to put it so crudely, but you only want a certain contingent to get through that actually succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the efforts that people go to to get there is really highly questionable. And like for me, I didn't feel comfortable for my own health reasons taking Adderall in the final season. Final season in law school is the month before the test. <laughs> and for anyone who has gone to undergrad and to think that you'd be preparing for a final for a month seems out of the question. <laughs> but in law school, very frequently, the model is there's only one test and it's your entire grade. So preparing for a month for the final makes a lot of sense. And during that finals time, you're taking Adderall to maintain your focus. So you're being productive with the time that you actually have 
I wasn't willing to go there because I just wasn't willing to entertain that kind of health risk for me or anything like that. I wouldn't know what the, the complications were. And I honestly believe that I probably could have done better in my law school career had I done Adderall. I had a classmate who would just work constantly. She would be sketching during class. She would be working during lunch. She would work really, really late nights, like every single night. And I felt kind of envious of that, actually, that there must be something deficient in me that's preventing me from doing that. And she is somehow better because I can't bring myself to do that or I, I won't. And I was always thinking like, you know, so when she has success at the end of the day and you don't, it's going to be all your fault. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's still just not, I don't feel like that's a healthy way of looking. First of not, all, it's is, not. is that success though? Looking and comparing yourself to somebody else who may have established that sort of work ethic for personal reasons or that's what gets her to where she needs to be is not necessarily going to be the same thing for everybody else. So like, why do we constantly compare ourselves in that way and feel less than? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I also liked Alex's question that he posed, like, is this success? Moving beyond grad school, like Tony said, grad school can be a bit of a sprint. And, mm. you know, it makes sense for the short term for you to do that, perhaps, right? You have to find something that's sustainable for you. But talking about the career in the long haul here, this is something that I feel like in the legal profession is very commonly retained after law school where people are working these awful 80, 100-hour weeks to get something done. comes in waves. I understand in my own career, I've had times where I've had to put in those kind of hours. Not all the time. Usually it's just for like a trial or something like that where I'm preparing for. But I've seen that with some friends of mine. I have one friend in particular who, really smart guy, went to an excellent law school. He got like the clerkship with an appellate court and one of the circuit courts in the federal court, uh, which is a highly prestigious job. Like some people who do that first, they might clerk for an appellate court level judge and then clerk for the Supreme Court, for example. That's a very common path. Mm. It's a very prestigious job. The continuation of that, though, is working for one of these elite big law firms that work you to death. And he did that in New York City where he was making the top pay really just excessive amounts of money. But he'd get an assignment Friday at 7 p.m., <laughs> Mind you, still in the office of Friday at 7 p.m. and say, hey, I need this by Monday. Can you make sure to get this to me by Monday? And this guy just not having any quality of life. Just every single day he was working, he was stressed, he couldn't have any friends. I don't want to speak for him, but it did seem like that whenever I talked to him. It seemed like he was just constantly consumed by the task of work. And for what end? You know, you've better serviced, you've done a better job as an attorney, you've been a better lawyer, you've made some bucks, you made a dent in your student loan debt. <laughs> but I know that personally, the performance is tied to my own identity as a person. I was telling you earlier sure. about feeling that I was being judged as a child based on my performance in the classroom. And I was, whether it was intentional or not, you know, kids who got straight A's got treated better by teachers, by the principal. It engenders this feeling in me that I'm not currently content to just exist and know that I'm enough, the end. You know, I feel like it's something that I constantly have to prove to myself. It's not something I'm trying to prove outwardly. I'm not trying to prove I'm this hard worker or whatever. And if it looks like that outwardly, it's because I'm trying to prove it to myself. And I, I have a difficult time believing that it's just enough. So maybe there's this feeling that like, if maybe I, if I can work hard enough and achieve enough, then I'll be enough. Can I ask you this? 
hearing that, what is it now in your adult life and your professional career that continues to bolster this idea that you're only as good as you achieve in your striving that determines your worth to yourself? I'm not really sure. I feel like I relate a bit with Andre as well because my law school, a lot of my colleagues were getting these jobs out of law school. Hmm. They're getting these jobs. They're making freaking $3,500 a week. This is out of the first year at a law school. You're making $4,000 a week. That's insane. And the prestige that goes along with that. And even now, it's been years since I was in law school. I hardly even keep in contact with that many people from law school. And yet somehow my stomach kind of lurches a little bit when I compare my career with people who started out like that. Right. And the amount of money that they're earning right now. And for me, I find myself drawn to getting a more prestigious job like that because I want to prove something. I want to prove that I could hang with them. If I'm being honest with myself, that's my motivation. My motivation is I want the respect and I want the validation that I could earn that much money or that I could get that high power to a job. What does that do for you long term? You can't take it down, can't take it up, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think I don't think there's any real good justification for it that we can articulate, right? I mean, we know that like <laughs> you know, this life is, you know, what we have right now and like I said, us building a better mousetrap the me building a better mousetrap in my job is I win this massive case and I successfully got this jury verdict or something like that. And that's a prestigious thing in my career. That's a prestigious item to have on your resume. Right. But what does that get me? <laughs> you know, am, am I happier? Am I have do I have a more successful marriage or do I have a more successful community life because of that? Let's take a leap a couple of years, maybe a decade or two into the future. And say you have children. I believe it was Steve Jobs who was talking about his relationship with his children basically being non-existent. What is your take as a millennial continuing down this path as far as putting more emphasis on your career and these achievements over your family? I don't actually have to look into my own future. I can see it already in the future of other composers who have done this very thing. And I'm not going to name any names, but there are composers <laughs> who work very hard and are very good at what they do and have had multiple divorces. And there are composers who have a very structured work day. They're in at, let's say, 7.30, out at 4.30 or whatever the time may be. That's their studio time. And they sustain a marriage, a family life. They have a few kids or something. And it's it's not hard for me to see who I want to be. I'd like to move us into the L.A. take on this because I think it's a really interesting intersection here in Los Angeles. This is a place where people come to pursue their dreams. And this is a place where people come and burn themselves out trying to make it as an actor, trying to make it as a writer, trying to make it as an influencer, you know, what have you. And also where dreams die, then. <laughs> it is that. And that's, I mean, that's very real. I mean, do you want to share more about that? I mean, I'm saying that <laughs> your dreams have died. <laughs> your dreams have been killed. I, I, actually, I can share on that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm actually pretty well qualified because I moved here. I shared this in the last episode. A big motivation for me to move to Los Angeles at the time I was making that decision was that I was a creative person. 
and that I would find validation in having a successful creative outlet and a medium that I love, such as screenwriting and film. And I moved here thinking that I'd be entering that industry, making inroads, writing scripts, writing TV episodes, and getting caught up in survival for me meant having to give up those dreams. So it's a very real experience for me here, moving to Los Angeles and getting caught up in a career. I, I enjoy what I do. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. Uh, I would not say it like fulfills me at all. I would not say I derive meaning from the practice of law, but I find it intellectually stimulating. I like the kind of the role that I play in society, but the fact that I'm not pursuing my dreams as a screenwriter, I feel like it's very, very typical of the LA experience. So my question to you guys is, what's the LA take on pursuing your dreams here? What do you feel like is a typical experience for people in LA? I think it's a matter of time. That's why I brought up earlier the concept of tenacity or persistence. This is kind of my take, my very uninformed take on my experiences and based on what I've been exposed to is that a lot of people come out here to pursue dreams and only a few of them continue with it long enough, at least invest enough time in it. I'm not saying work themselves to death over it, but only a few of them will put in the amount of hours that it takes to achieve some semblance of whatever success looks like for them in their position or just some form of supporting themselves with that dream while the majority of the rest will give up after some setback. Maybe it's a large setback or maybe they give up easily and it's a small setback and then they just kind of disappear into the crowd. So I want to get Tony's take on this. One implication that I've seen with this aspect of moving to LA to pursue dreams is the way that people relate with one another here, particularly with respect to like the entertainment industry. People move here to pursue dreams and they work hard to pursue them. But as a result, every party you go to is a networking opportunity, I feel like. It's also probably a big reason why people are so shallow here sometimes which is that people are sizing you up to see if you offer them any career advancement or anything like that. And if not, they kind of stop paying attention to you. Hashtag rise and grind. Okay. <laughs> if you're not out here making these 7 a.m. breakfasts, you're not grinding hard enough. You know, <laughs> if you're not handing out business cards at somebody's house party, you're not grinding hard enough. <laughs> Or the bus stop. Or the bus stop. Or Hollywood Boulevard handing out CDs. Like, look, you're not grinding hard enough. No, to a degree, there is a lot of that that happens. But I do feel that seasoned Angelinos within the industry have managed to look at it and say, look, this is an opportunity for me to further my career. But this is also an opportunity for me to like genuinely get to know people or not. And just move on with my life. But like not harp on this particular party is going to make or break my career. Opportunities, they come and they go. They pass by you like ships in the night sometimes. Sometimes you're fortunate enough to like make it by meeting someone and they'll offer you an opportunity to like work on a project or whatever. But sometimes it just it doesn't happen. And people I feel that are here realize that that's these are the chances. These are the things that happen. And kind of just go with the flow and like do kind of position themselves for more of those opportunities to pass them, but like are not solely focused on 
the star way, way up in the sky. Like, this is where I'm going to be. And I don't care how I get there. This is the only thing that I'm striving towards. Like, it's not a thing. I feel like I'd push back on that a little bit where I feel like your experience might be a little more, more easygoing than a lot of the other people. But I'd like to just like point out that like, for example, like people are networking in Soul Cycle. And people are networking at, you know, the juice bar on Third Street. And people are huffing and puffing and saying like, bro, if if only you know knew that the person you just gave that card to is probably gonna throw that card in the trash can. I'm just like, let's be real about it. But I I think also the the intersection here is like the LA take on this is that like every aspect for some people, every aspect of their lives is informed by this drive to succeed. Like for example, their take on spirituality is Scientology. Whereas Scientology, it's oftentimes a place to network with other celebrities who will give you jobs. Look, I ain't gonna speak on that. I don't know nothing about Scientology. Like, not a <laughs> doggone thing. Tom Cruise, that's about it. <laughs> you don't want the black SUVs coming after you. Right? I really don't. <laughs> sometimes you need that star that you were mentioning, Tony. Sometimes you need that to orient your ship. But if you're so blinded that that's all you see, then that's a problem. But if you have a goal and you wanna reach it, at least be pointed that direction and like have some idea on like some steps to get there. But if you are climbing over other people to get there and and that's a different story. I think I I I feel a strong sense of responsibility to apply what I've been given and what I've learned in life. Like I've been given a life for a reason I'm, I'm assuming. Otherwise you would feel like you wasted your talents or something. I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, my life's mission has to be manifested in a job. But like, I have a whole life that I'll, God willing, will get to live. At this point, I'm extremely educated. So I feel like I have a responsibility to do something with that education. I have a responsibility to contribute to what I, you know, back since I've been given this. I feel a strong sense that like, the talents that we have and the skills and the gifts that we have aren't meant for us to hold up in comparison to one another and say like, look how smart I am, look how talented I am. They're, they're tools and they're meant to be used to build something. Yeah, I think probably we would all agree that like finding a balance is the most important thing. Like it's good to do excellent things with your skills and your talents. And you know, it was actually my friend who I was talking about earlier who was working the rough job in New York where he was working a lot. It was him who said this about that same concept, which is I could be the guy out in Africa handing out food or something like that. But realistically, there are a lot of people who can do that job. There's not a lot of people who can do the job that I'm doing, which is doing this high-powered litigation or whatever. Do we allow ourselves to be miserable if we're not currently doing what it is that we're striving to do? That's also another question that I would like to pose to the group. I have not been miserable not screenwriting, for example. I have not been miserable not working at the high-powered law firm where I'm making a zillion dollars a week. Mm-hmm. In fact, the opposite is true. Ever since I moved here, even though I had a tough time living in the city, especially my first year, I've been really happy here. And I found a balance that has been really rewarding where I've been able to like have meaningful relationships and I have a meaningful place in my community and where I'm making a difference on, on a small scale, mind you. But it's been incredibly rewarding. That's really good to hear. 
I've kind of made up my mind that um, I don't need to be a household name. Of course, it's very rare that someone gets to that level of like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, like these are names that people know even if they're not composers. And so like this also kind of goes into what do you define success as a little bit. It's okay if something like that doesn't happen. That's not my goal. It's more just to be able to support myself doing multimedia composing for a living. And I'm not looking for fame. I'm just, heck, I'm not even looking to build better mousetraps. I'm just looking to clean the mousetrap that I have and make that mousetrap look really nice and maybe like repackage it or something. But it's uh, it's honestly the same mousetrap. Maybe divorced from my feeling of adequacy. I love hard stuff. I love doing something that's really, really difficult and really getting to see what you're made of. I think, you know, there were times in undergrad where like finals week was never fun for any undergrad, but there was this sort of weird upside down joy about it because it's like seeing a car go its top speed, like seeing really what you're made of and you're, you know, you're performing at this really, really high level, even if it's temporary, but you're like, wow, I can do this. This is really kind of cool. It's not about suffering. It's about seeing what you're made of and performing at your highest level. That's really joyful. And you understand that like discomfort comes with it. You know, in high school in track, it was fun to run the 100 meters and see how fast I could actually run, which was pretty fast. Sure. So my knees are popping. I'm too old to be running like that. That pain is not enjoyable, <laughs> even trying to push myself. But, it, but no, I, I understand the sentiment there. Yeah, I guess I want to amend what I said earlier with the fact that like it's not that I'm about not working hard because like right. you could be the hardest working composer in Hollywood and never be known. Absolutely. I mean, there are certain ways that that can happen to people who don't work hard at all, like being born into the right family. What about you, audience? Do you identify with the love what you do generation? Do you feel like you fit into it somehow or do you feel like maybe it doesn't apply to you at all? And, you know, maybe we need to have an honest self-check-in. Are you still doing the thing that you thought you loved from when the dream first germinated? Have you decided to settle? Are you okay with settling if you've settled? Do you still have that itch in the back of your mind? Well, what, <laughs> what if I had, for one more year, what if I had kept on doing that thing? Yeah, so uh, we'd love to hear you guys' take and answers to some of these questions. Thank you for listening to this discussion of the Love What You Do generation if you guys wouldn't mind, giving us five stars on iTunes would definitely help. If you've enjoyed this, if you didn't enjoy this, I mean, don't give us stars. I don't care. Do what you do, but we would appreciate five stars. We can't tell you what to do. I do can, what you love. I, I mean, like we, we can, can tell, tell you what to do. Yeah. We, you just don't <laughs> you, have to decide. You don't like, have to listen, listen to us. <laughs> yeah. But take it from me. You should give us five stars. And tune in next week to more L.A. Survival Guide. Words of wisdom from the four of us. The LA Survival Guide podcast is produced by Tony Rosenthal with editing by Alex Cap and Tony Rosenthal, theme music by Alex Cap, and copy and graphic design by Andre Orr.